What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Finn Sports Football Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Giandoletti Jr., and today we are going to be going over the film review, um, what I saw that I didn't see after the game uh, from the Week 9 Dolphins-Bears game. Now, this is something I want to start doing every single week on Wednesdays um, because, you know, I, I thought I make a lot of takes on Monday about the game that we all just witnessed. But a lot of times, you know, as the week progresses and I start to see film from other people, you know, I'm like, oh, wait, this is different than what I saw live when the game happened. So what I did is I went out. Um, I bought the NFL Plus Premium, so I get the All-22 Coaches film for you guys because I want to make sure that I'm getting the best content. And I went over, you know, not every single play, but, you know, the big plays here and there that I thought, um, you know, change game or overall themes that I saw from the offense and defense. And there are a lot of things that, in my opinion, changed, a lot of stuff that didn't change my opinion. But, you know, there were a couple things I saw where I was like, oh, OK, that's different than what I initially thought. So this is something that I want to start doing every single week. Um, I, ju- I do just want to get this out of the way. Uh, I'm not like Kyle Krabs. I'm not, you know, this person like at, at Draft Network that does film review all the time. I'm new to it. I'm still learning Eventually, I do want to purchase like a training program where I learn how to watch film and how to study because then it'll get me to be able to provide the best content for you guys. Um, Right now, um, I can't do that, but I eventually want to, you know, down the the line if I start making more money from this podcast. Um, But yeah, just something I want to start doing for you guys to really increase the quality of this podcast. Again, it's one thing to talk about the game. It's another thing to sit down. I spent about two hours this morning. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw all the posts I was doing. I spent about two hours studying film review, woke up at seven. Uh, it's nine 15 right now when I'm recording. So I've been, I spent about two hours watching film on this game for this. And this is the standard. This is what I'm going to be doing for you guys every week from here on out. So, uh, let's get into this, uh, before we get into it, actually, if you're new to the channel, welcome. So happy to have you here. If you're not new, welcome back. Um, regardless of whether you're new or not, if you're not subscribed to the channel, you should go do that on whatever podcast streaming service you're listening to. Uh, Make sure to give it a five-star review if you like what you hear. So let's get into it, the the film review. Now, it's going to help if, because, because it's a podcast, you know, I can't show you live, you know, like if I had a YouTube channel, maybe that's something I might eventually do as well down the line. Um, But I guess on some of it, you're just going to have to take my word for it. Also, if you go on my Twitter, it's FinSportsFB, as in football. Uh, If you go on my Twitter, you'll see a couple of snippets I posted. It's not everything, but it's a couple of plays I saw here and there offensive and defensively um, that I think really um, might help. But what I'm going to be going over today isn't really all specific plays. There are a couple I want to touch on. But really, it's just the overall theme and and uh, feeling that I got walking away from it. And I want to start on defense because, as you know here, I do not like Josh Boyer at all. Um, after this game, I gave him about 80% of the blame. And this is why I like doing these film reviews because after doing that, I went back when I rewatched the film. I'm going to take his blame from 80 to about 55%. And the reason is because... I have to give him more than half of the blame because he is the coach, 
Okay, it's his defense. However, there are a lot of things that I saw in this game where I'm like, well, that's not really Josh Boyer's fault. That's just you as a player not doing what you're supposed to do. Okay, and again, Josh Boyer, I I can't state this enough. Like, just because I'm lowering his blame, I still don't like him. I don't think he's the future. I think there's better options out there, whether it was players that I heard say that he's not the answers, uh, not the answer, like star players on our defense, um, or whether it was finding out that like Tom Garfinkel's the only reason he's coaching. You know, this was something that I heard when, um, when we kept him is that they told McDaniel, you know, if you take this job, we're keeping Josh Boyer because Tom Garfinkel and Josh Boyer are kind of like linked at the hip. So like this isn't even a McDaniel move of why he's on the roster. So I don't think he's the long term solution. I think that we've seen this year. He clearly was not the mastermind behind the defense. Um, But nonetheless, I do like to be fair here. I think I am pretty fair. I think I am pretty equal in my criticism, but also my praise for players and coaches. And with Josh Boyer, as much as I do not like him, he does not deserve 80% of the blame for this game plan. And that's really where I wanted to start because overall, this is what I saw from the defense. And this is where the 55% of blame comes in for Josh Boyer. So the 50% comes from the game plan because that is what he's responsible for. And in watching the game plan, essentially, this game plan to me, what it showed is that Josh Boyer did not believe in, in Justin Fields as a passer, and rightfully so. This game... Uh, I posted this on my Twitter, I believe this post, consistently when the Dolphins were able to keep Justin Fields in the pocket and asked him to make a throw in the pocket, he made one good throw the entire game where I was like, that's a great throw with pressure. And that was the touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney on Xavier Howard. He had pressure in his face. If he releases that ball a half second later, it's a sack by Bradley Chubb and he nails it perfectly. Other than that, Anytime they put pressure in his face, got their hands up, he was just wild, like throws all over the place, throws too high, throws too far behind, throws too far in front, like his passes were all over the place. And unfortunately, the Dolphins could not stop him on the ground. And so people are going to look at this game and say Justin Fields was incredible. But to me, what I saw was Lamar Jackson without the throwing. That's all it was. It was not electricity in the air and on the run game he had 123 yards passing and honestly a lot of that was just to tight ends out in the flat he didn't really have any big passes that I was like wow that's a difficult pass it was just a lot of running on the ground and the reason though I give Josh Boyer 50% of the blame is because as a as a coordinator you obviously have to craft the game plan and it's pretty common knowledge that when you face a running quarterback, you have to play predominantly zone. And the reason for that is because when you play man coverage, your job as a cornerback is to keep your eyes on the wide receiver because you have to go toe-to-toe with that person. When you play in zone, it's a different story. You fill in your gap, right? You fill in your zone, whatever coverage it is, and you keep your eyes on the quarterback. Because at the end of the day, you can't see behind you when you play zone coverage. You have to keep your eyes front the whole time, stay in your zone, and read the quarterback's eyes, okay? When you do that, you are obviously reading the quarterback. So if he takes off to run, you know. 
The problem I had is that we played a lot of man coverage, and I understand why, because Justin Fields cannot make those difficult throws that a Tua can make, that a Josh Allen can make, that a Lamar Jackson can make. He cannot. If, if it's a tight window and stuff like that, he's not going to do it. He's just not accurate enough. And that's what Josh Boyer did. He said, we're going to play man coverage. And the coverage in this game was phenomenal. And that's why I have a problem when people say that all our issues are going to get fixed when Byron Jones comes back. First of all, don't count on that. If he comes back, it's going to be after the bye, but he's probably not coming back this year. And he's probably never going to take another snap for the Dolphins. And if he does, it'll be, again, after the bye, if he's completely 100% healthy. He's not going to play if he's 98% healthy. He has to be 100% healthy because he knows next year he's not going to be on this team and he's not hurting his market value. Do I agree with it? No. You're getting paid $16 million to be the second best cornerback on your team and that's enough money even after tax to last four generations. Like That's where I have a problem sometimes with players and how much money they make. Calm down, shut up, and go out and play. Okay? At the end of the day, you're making $16 million. I don't care if you're not 100%. You're still going to get money next year somewhere in the league. Go out and help your team win, okay? Rather than just sitting there, able to play and all, not playing. But that's another t- topic. But the cornerbacks, though, they actually did a great job. And again, that's why a lot of people are like, well, you know, we're missing Byron Jones and this and that. Like, no, Byron Jones wouldn't have that much of an impact. The Dolphins are, their coverage has been pretty good. Keon Carlson had one of his worst days, I would say, as a Dolphin. But the coverage was still good 90% of the time, like really good. Uh, and considering how Xavier Howard's injured, like hats off to him of what they're asking him to do this season. But my problem is that even though you played man coverage and it worked, you gave up so much running. You gave up so many yards on the ground to Justin Fields. And my problem is that if you would have played predominantly more zone, people would have been able to help more. And the issue was that you had a quarterback spy, whether it was Tyndall, Baker, Roberts, or Duke Riley. And when he took off to run, which that's not Josh Boyer's fault. We'll talk about whose fault that is. But when he took off to run on unscripted run plays, all you have is that quarterback spy to tackle him and no one else can help because they don't even know he's running the football. And that's where my issue is. If you're Josh Boyer, why are you relying on a Landon Roberts, Jerome Baker, Duke Riley, or a rookie third round pick to go one, one-on-one with one of the most electric running quarterbacks in the NFL? It's a horrible game plan. It's a flawed game plan. You need to give those guys more help. Okay, and again, you shouldn't be playing as much zone coverage and the re or you shouldn't be playing as much man coverage. You should be playing more zone coverage. And the reason why I'm going to give him an extra 5% is because what I'm about to talk about with the players, I have to give him 5% of that blame because you're the coach. And even though these are grown adults and they should know better and play better, which that's what we're going to talk about next, it's still your job as a coach to prepare them. So I have to give him slightly more of the blame. However, I'm giving the players 45% of the blame. And when I mean players, the front seven, I can't blame the, the defensive backs at all. You gave up 123 passing yards. Most of it was to tight ends like Cole Komet in the flat. Maybe a couple passes here and there that went for like eight or 10 that were just missed tackles. And then that Darnell Mooney pass, that was a touchdown. I can't blame the secondary. They played a great game. 
The problem is your front seven. And this is where I have an issue. Look, I love Jalen Phillips, love him. But dude, what the hell are we doing here? Did you not know that Justin Fields can run the football? Because I can't tell you how many times I was watching plays where it's like, I wonder if they know that like on this run option, he likes to keep it because he's really good. And my issue, and this is why, again, I'm going to give a little more blame to Josh Boyer is you need to coach these guys. Hey, every time he hands the ball off, look, we can. And this is what the great defensive minds like Bill Belichick do. They go, hey, we can live with Khalil Herbert and Montgomery getting the ball. We can live with that. At the end of the day, if he hands it off to them and they get four or five yards, we can live with that. What we can't live with is you running after and and falling for the bait. And now Justin Fields in the open field has one guy to miss and then he's gone for, you know, 20, 30 yards. We cannot live with that consistently. And it was play after play after play that I saw players just like falling for the bait of the of, of the run option. Like Justin Fields is handing it off and we're not containing. And every single time, I kid you not, the, the, the most yardage that they gained that I saw from handing it off to a running back was eight yards. Other than that, it was like two yards, one yard, no yards, three yards at most. But again, there'd be plays here and there that he would fake hand it off. The, instead of Jalen Phillips or whoever the edge was following the uh, following Justin Fields and containing him so he would hand it off to the running back, they fell for it and he would take off for 10, 12 yards. And then on top of that, there were a lot of yards that were unscripted runs, right? Like that, I forget what it was. It was like 60, 70 yard touchdown run that he had. That was not a scripted run. But the problem there is, again, I understand the quarterback spies need to do their job, which we're going to talk about them next. But the defensive lineman in this game, man, it was upsetting. It was consistently play after play. I'm, I'm pausing the screen and screaming at it saying, what are you doing? You're giving him wide open lanes to run through. And this is something that I didn't know, but I heard uh, Rex Ryan talked about it on um, Get Up, I believe. And I trust him because, yeah, he might have not been a Hall of Fame coach, but he was a good defensive coach. And he said, when you play running quarterbacks as defensive linemen, you cannot run past them. You have to stay in your gap, stay in your zone and create a wall around him so that he cannot escape anywhere through the middle. If he does escape, he has to go all the way around the edge, which is going to take up way more time by that time your spy can get to him. The problem is that guys like Jalen Phillip, guys like Bradley Chubb, I guess they've never played a quarterback like this. I don't know. Jalen Phillips has played Lamar Jackson before. Even guys on the inside, Raekwon Davis, uh, Christian Wilkins, it's like they were just giving him these wide open lanes in the middle. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're given the most one of the most electric running quarterbacks in the NFL wide open lanes in the middle and all he has to do is make a Landon Roberts or Channing Tindall miss, uh, that's he's going to win 80 percent of the time on those. And on top of it, the guys are playing man, so they don't even know he's running the football. So like there were so many times where it's like I looked at the defensive line and it's like when when they contained him and didn't try to necessarily sack him, but basically just contain him within the pocket it worked and he would have to force to he would have to make a throw and he'd just do a quick little dump out to Cole Komet for like three yards or he would overthrow a wide receiver on a screen pass whatever it may have been 
but there were many, many times, again, it was a third and long when he ran for that long touchdown where he just has a wide open lane in the middle. It's like there's no one even there. And all he had to do was make a couple guys miss. And I, it, with the angles that they had, because, you know, the, the linebackers suck up and they don't stay at their zone that they're supposed to be in their depth. Yeah, it's just an angles game at that point. He's 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 like 200. I, I forget how many pounds he's like 240 pounds and he runs a 4-4. What do you expect these guys to do? He's an NFL player, too. You know? And it's like, it's certain things like that where it's like, can we just contain Justin Fields in the pocket? Can we not run past him? There are many plays where J- where Jalen Phillips, I'm like, dude, are you even trying to get after the quarterback right now? Or are you just trying to like win off the ball? Because there were a lot of times where it was like, you won off the ball, but you're about 10 yards away from the quarterback behind him. Because the, 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 the left tackle was probably laughing. He was just, hike, Jalen Phillips is like 10 yards past uh, you know, the quarterback and all the all the offensive lineman has to do is just make sure that he doesn't let him, you know, get through to the not through to the quarterback, obviously that, but make sure that he just continues going that way, continues going straight. Don't let him break into the quarterback. And that's easy rather than Jalen Phillips every play more so just bull rushing and trying to contain and create a wall. And so, again, that stuff should have been coached, and that's why I'm going to give extra blame to Josh Boyer because he's the coach. But at a certain time as a player, it's like, I don't know what you're doing here. And not only that, but like, did you not learn from the mistakes against Lamar, uh, Lamar Jackson? And also, did you not learn from your mistakes in the first half against the Bears? Like, there was no adjustment at all. There wasn't. They they came out um and did the exact same stuff. Pass out to Cole Komet, quarterback option run. Justin Fields, let's just hike the ball knowing that you're just going to run it and make something happen. And it worked every single time. That's what's crazy. And so from a defensive standpoint, it's like players have to play way better. They have to play smarter. Um, And from a defensive perspective from Josh Boyer of a play caller, you have to call better games. You have to get your guys more prepared. Uh, I'm sorry. I know it's not all on you, but playing predominantly man coverage against a running quarterback, not ideal. And I think he does deserve a lot of blame because as a coach, it's your job to prepare these guys. And even though they're grown adults and they should hold their own, it's still your job as the coach. So again, re-watching this, again, there's a play. I It's a perfect example, perfect example. I have it on my Twitter and it's a play of Duke Riley and Duke Riley's the quarterback spy. And Justin Fields, He's just sitting in the pocket. He almost gets sacked by Bradley Chubb, and there's a wide open gap on the right side. And Brad and uh, um, Duke Riley looks lost. Justin Fields is running. If you're watching it, he's running to the right of the screen, which is his left. And Duke Riley like doesn't even follow him. Like he doesn't even know where the hell he is. And it's like that stuff where it's like Josh Boyer technically called up the right play. He has a quarterback spy on Justin Fields, but. Duke Riley just doesn't deliver. He doesn't even see him running. He doesn't even follow him. A lot of that, I think, is because he sucked up so much to the line of scrimmage that he might have not seen him over the offensive lineman. But that's why you're supposed to fill the you're supposed to stay back. I believe it's like seven yards. And when the quarterback runs, then you take off and you have a better angle. But he sucks up. He's like two yards behind Jalen Phillips and he doesn't even see Justin Fields running. It's like, well, technically, Josh Boyer did the right thing. He called he had a quarterback spy 
and the quarterback spy didn't do their job. So it's like, well, what are you supposed to do then? So overall, from a defensive standpoint, just not their greatest game. I understand you're not going to face. Um, I understand you're not going to face a Justin Fields every single week, but at the same time, <laughs> more and more quarterbacks are becoming Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson's. So you better adapt and learn how to play that. Uh, and hopefully this is a, lear- a learning lesson. Luckily, though, however, we still won the game because of a man named Tua Tungavailoa and his crew of Tyreek Hill and <laughs> Jalen Waddle. This game, guys, sometimes Tua does stuff. And this is where when people say he doesn't do anything elite, it's like, yeah, his arm strength and, and physical traits as far as running the football are not elite. They aren't. And I don't care what people say. His arm strength's not elite. His running the football's not elite. But his anticipation, his vision, his pocket presence, I mean, it's just like sometimes he does stuff that takes my breath away. And the issue is that with certain guys like Josh Allen and with Patrick Mahomes and and Justin Herbert, they take our breath away when we watch live because we see the arm strength, we see the mobility. With guys like Tua, you can't fully appreciate their vision and their anticipation until you watch the all 22 and you can actually pause it because 90% of Tua's throws if you watch when he's releasing the ball it's like his wide receiver is not even kind of close to the area where he throws it yet he throws it on the money in stride so they can run after the catch it's it's crazy to me and if you go again if you go on my um my twitter the first one I want to talk about is the first tweet I did Um, it says, this is why McDaniel's offense paired with Tua's vision is so dangerous. So if you look at this play, uh, it takes place in the third quarter and Tua is in the pocket, clean pocket, and he's looking to his right. And if you look, I kind of marked the, um, image so you can see what I'm talking about. If you want to go look at it right now, or maybe later, I have a highlighted mark of where Tua's vision is. And that highlighted mark is shown in yellow. And it's not an accident that the vision goes through both Trent Sherfield and Tyree Kill. So that linebacker right there, I have an arrow pointing. He's reading it. Again, they're playing in zone right now. He's reading it as his vision is to Trent Sherfield. And whoever number six is, his he's also thinking his vision is to Trent Sherfield because that vision but he is looking at Tyree Kill right now. He's winding up to throw this football. I marked because I didn't want to put the video because I had to mark it up. Look at where he ends up throwing the ball. It's that bl- the, the black circle and he has the arc there. Look at where he ends up throwing that ball and when he throws it. Because right now he's looking at Tyree Kill, but again, they're in zone, so they have no idea. They think that right now he's looking at Trent Sherfield because that's where his vision is. But he's going to put this ball, he's going to put it through that gap right there between those two linebackers and hit Tyree Kill in stride. And it's stuff like this where, again, when people say, oh, well, he has Tyree Kill and he has Jalen Waddle," Like, yes, 100% that's true. But also, two is just seeing the field really well. And on top of that, when you pair in Mike McDaniel's play calling, again, this passing scheme It's on purpose. This isn't a coincidence that the vision of where two is supposed to look also has Trent Sherfield there to confuse the linebackers. This is just a phenomenal throw, and this is a throw that I don't know if we see Tua make in years past to pull the trigger over the middle in between that window. 
with that type of uh, anticipation, it's just a phenomenal throw right there. And, and we need to start giving him his roses and his flowers on how he is conducting this offense right now. It's as simple as that. Next one, if you continue to scroll up, it's just another example of like Tua's anticipation. It, it says, look at when this throw is released. Tua is winding up, which by the way, Tua's mechanic, Tua's like arm motion is phenomenal. I, I love that type of stuff. I don't know why, but I do. But when he's releasing this ball, bro, there's like a triangle of players, of Bears defenders that Jalen Waddle's in between. And if you go watch this actual play, I really should post this actual play, but he literally, the, the, the accuracy is so good that it barely just skims off the fingers of that inside linebacker. But right there, that's a triangle of defenders that he's throwing with anticipation to a spot. It's close to like the hash marks on near the 40 yard line. So it's a little bit further down the field. But again, it's a play like this where this only works if you have a quarterback with the anticipation to throw the ball now when this capture was taken of this of this um uh, of this moment if you have a quarterback willing to throw with that anticipation to a spot and it's throws like this where again if you watch live you you don't recognize this stuff because all you see is Tua throwing it and Jalen Waddle wide open and you're like man his wide receivers are wide open yes they are but Two is also the anticipation king right now, and he's just seeing the field very, very well. And mind you, this is against the top five pass defense. This is not the Detroit Lions. This is a top five pass defense right now in football that was giving up before this game under 200 yards passing per game. Think about that. Under 200 yards passing per game, and Tua went in there and threw over 300, three touchdowns, no picks. The next play I want to talk about, the next two plays I want to talk about um, are plays that were criticized. I criticized Tua on them. Everyone criticized Tua on them. Shocker. And while he still deserves criticism for both of them, I need to kind of like explain them. So the first one is the fourth down and one to Durham Smythe. Also, actually, before we get into this, not to sidetrack myself, I need to remember to get back to this. That drive where I said Mike McDaniel had horrible clock management, he did um, 100%. I'm not really changing that. But also, I completely forgot on that drive that Raheem Mostert dropped a wide open pass that probably would have led for five yards and he would have gotten out of bounds, meaning that Tua probably that sets you up for a different third down. You know, instead of third and 10, it's third and five now. They could have gotten that first down, clocked it, had about, you know, 20 seconds left with about 15 yards to go and maybe get a touchdown there. So, you know, it's little plays like that where still horrible clock management. But again, there's more to the story than just that. So back to this play. Again, I have this on my Twitter, so I would really like I would recommend going on my Twitter and seeing this just because I if I had a channel, I'd be showing you live. But if you go on my Twitter, it says uh, the tweet says this is not to his best throw. So that's the tweet I'm talking about. And I said this is not to his best throw, but also what the hell is Smythe doing? As you can see, Smythe even looks. Oh, I'm <laughs> a typo. But uh, Smythe looks away. So if you can see in the, the video, when Tua releases the ball, Smythe is looking upfield because he's like, holy crap, there's no one around me. If I catch this ball, I probably get a touchdown. And when Tua releases the ball, Smythe is not looking at him. He's actually running upfield a little. He's not running across. Um, and 
Tua, again, this is not a good throw by Tua. I'm not taking away blame. I'm just saying that normally sometimes when a quarterback makes a bad throw, the wide receiver or tight end or running back can help um, kind of negate it. And this is a bad throw by Tua. It, it's happened to the best of quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, it happens. They're not all perfect. But again, this is one of those situations where, yes, it's an underthrow. It is. He should have, even with Smythe turning up field, he should have gotten it to him. But Smythe right here, if he keeps his eyes on Tua, he's able to track down that underthrow and probably catch it for a first down. Like 90% chance he catches it. And so this is why when I watch this throw, I think, oh, Tua underthrew it, which he did. But also at the same time, not everything is just on one person. This blame goes to Tua, yes, but also I look at Smythe and I'm sure his tight ends coach is being like, what the hell are you doing right here? Like, why did you not stay at your depth? Because right here, if he just runs across and doesn't move back up, Tua's throw actually probably hits him where he's supposed to be. But even if it is a little short and he keeps his eyes on Tua, he catches the ball for four or five yards and it's a touch, uh, not touchdown. It's at least a first down. He falls to the ground. But instead, Smythe looks upfield, doesn't contain his depth that he's supposed to have. Tua underthrows it. Now it's turnover on downs. So it's little plays like that that, again, they're going to want to have back. Um, the next play I want to talk about offensively is, and this is the last play I want to talk about offensively, this is the other pass that Tua had to Jalen Waddle. that... Um, uh, man, I, I don't really know. I try not to curse on this channel because like I wanted to be professional, but I don't understand why every time Tua has an underthrow, people just say it's arm strength. Wake the hell up and, and stop doing these lazy ass takes. Okay. Pulling a big O. It's just lazy ass takes. If you look at this throw and I put it on there, Tua purposefully, like I'm gonna, if you pause it, the if you pause the video right when Tua throws it, now he has guys in his face. But this, these are the type of quarterbacks where, even though he is on his back foot, this isn't a deep throw. From where he throws it to where Jalen Waddle catches it, it's like a 25-yard pass. It's not that deep. Tua can do that even on his back foot. We've seen him do that. We've seen him throw to Mike Kosicki like 30 yards on his back foot. The issue is I don't know for what reason he took air off of it, but you can deliberately see when he throws the football, he does not put everything into it. And my issue that I, I think too is gonna start seeing is like, when you throw these footballs with Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, it's pretty rare that you're gonna be able to underthrow them or overthrow them. So just throw it further than you think you should and they'll probably be able to run to get it. And also something that I'm sure, um, we all remember is when Kurt Warner talked about the preseason game from Tua and how he underthrew Tyreek Hill and he mentions it. He underthrew it, but it's not because of arm strength. And this is why I have such an issue. It's like, do we understand that Tua plays in the NFL? Tua could throw 40 yards at the age of 13. I can barely throw 40 yards right now and I'm 24 years old. Tua can throw a 30 yard pass. The problem though is his footwork. And again, if you're watching the video right now, like I'm sure on your phone you can swipe out of Spotify, still listen, and go watch the, the play on my uh, Twitter. Go watch it and pause it right when Tua throws the football. I'm pausing it right now. When you throw a football, and this is something that I know, but it's not like I, I, I'm a quarterback. This is just from, again, learning 
from people who did play the position at a high level. When you throw the football as a quarterback, your hips and and shoulders need, need to be aligned where you're throwing the football. That's why quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, it's crazy what they're able to do because they kind of just say, yeah, F you fundamentals. I don't need you. I can still throw the ball 80 yards on my knees, you know, while eating a cheeseburger. That's what's crazy about them. So with Tua, even though he doesn't have that arm strength, he has to get those fundamentals right because he could easily throw this football 30 yards if he has the fundamentals. But again, look, and, and I don't know if he's doing this because... We all know Tua likes to do this thing where he like looks one way and throws the deep ball the other way. I think that's what happens here. But if I'm a coach, I'm telling him, look, we love it. We know that he's wide open and you're trying to, you know, quickly get it out to him because you faked it to the right and now you're throwing it to the left. You have to set your feet the right way. And right here, if you look at where he's throwing the football, right, look at where he's throwing the football and look at where his hips are aligned. You can't do that. Especially when you're someone like Tua who does not have the greatest arm. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but he doesn't have a Patrick Mahomes type arm where he can just let this happen. His hips are not facing the right way, and that's going to take a lot of air off the football. And then when you combine that with also him mentally deciding to take air off the football, it's an underthrow. And so that's why, um, you know, when, when I see stuff like this and I actually go back and watch the film, I'm like, it's not to his arm strength. Everyone needs to shut up when it comes to that. It's not to his arm strength. It's just sometimes he does not set his feet the proper way and he doesn't have the physical ability like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen to make up for it. And so that's why, again, I think I said this last episode, I would really like to see Tua get like an actual quarterback coach in the offseason on top of Perform because Perform's done a great job at getting his body the right way, which hats off to him, continue with him. But I just think he needs like an actual quarterback coach to help him take him to the next level so that he can get his body in shape the right way with Perform, but also fix a lot of the mechanical issues because Tua coming out of college, everyone talked about his technique, his footwork, his uh, everything is just perfect. Well, it's not perfect. We're seeing it right now. It's not perfect. His anticipation, his accuracy is great, but sometimes he tries to get cute with it. And like on this pass, if he just sets his feet the right way, he hits Waddle in stride easily and it's a touchdown and the game's not even kind of close. Tua's going to have four touchdowns, 380 yards passing, no, no interceptions, and we're going to win by like... Let's see, we're going to win 42 to 32, so by 10 points. Like, it's stuff like that where, again, he's setting, it's setting up for people to be like, oh, look at the arm strength, he underthrows him. Okay, well, actually, how about you decide to do the right thing for a living and not be lazy? Uh, and you have all these people in the national media that don't watch Dolphins football that talk about Dolphins football. How about you actually like do what you're supposed to do, watch the film and realize that the issue here isn't arm strength, it's footworks and mechanics. So that's the last thing I wanted to talk about. But overall, man, this offense was wheeling and dealing. The offensive line didn't play as good as I thought they did watching it live. They had some struggles here and there, but to his pocket presence kind of overcame that. Um, I've noticed that when the Dolphins run to the right side of the line, they don't have much success. I'm not sure what that's about because Robert Hunt is supposed to be really good or at least one of our better offensive linemen. They have a lot more success running towards Robert Jones. I don't know if that's going to continue. I don't know where Austin Jackson fits in when he comes back, but the running game is one of those things, and this is real quick. I want to touch on this before I let y'all go, is 
we have to understand that like even though Mike McDaniel comes from the Shanahan system, which is run based, like we have to start flipping our perspective on the Dolphins and their offense. Like the Dolphins have such a good passing game with Tua, Tyreek and Waddle where you have to start looking at them like the Bills and the Chiefs where like they don't need we don't need to have an elite run game. We don't have Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. We're not the Titans. The Dolphins, gone are the days where like the Dolphins need to have this elite run game to get by. The Dolphins need to have a complimentary run game. Every team does. You'll never see a team go to the Super Bowl without a complimentary run game or win a Super Bowl. Even the Chiefs, when they won the Super Bowl, they had an elite run. They they had a complimentary run game. But I think everyone thinks because we are a run based system, that means we need to have an elite run game. But our offense is on fire right now and that's because you have Tua, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. and when you have those three guys you let them cook you go into every game saying they will not be able to stop us we just need a run game to complement those bootlegs and those play action passes and I think once you start seeing that happen which I thought in this Bears game that did happen especially with the addition of Jeff Wilson once you start seeing that happen to where we're able to pop off some big runs here and there, but we don't need to rely on it. Man, this offense is going places. And I think the Dolphins averaged over four yards per carry, not including the kneel downs at the end of the game. So that's good. Again, and that's what this Dolphins needs to offense needs to be. If we only have 80 yards rushing a game, okay. Because if Tua goes out there and throws 300, you know, 682 yards and six touchdowns, no interceptions over two weeks, why do we care? You know, and I think we have to start flipping our perspective because we're so used to as Dolphins fans to having a quarterback that's not able to do that. And so we're constantly including myself like, man, we need the best run game ever, the best run game ever. It's like, no, you have the best wide receiving core and pass game in the NFL. You just need a run game to complement that. And hats off to Mike McDaniel. It really goes to show his how he has no ego because he knows he's a run game specialist but he's seeing, hey, our past game's working, so that's what we're going to go through. And it's stuff like that that I just think is going to make him a great coach down the line. So there you have it, guys. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you did too. I'm going to start doing this every single week from now on. Um, But I will see you guys next time on Friday where we will review, or preview, I should say, the Dolphins' Week 10 matchup at home against the Cleveland Browns' return of Jacoby Brisket, baby. Let's go. Fins up. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami.